Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here for Tailgate Sunday. In addition to everybody who's here in person, we have hundreds of people joining with us online right now. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online community? So glad to have you guys. And it is Tailgate Sunday, and we have a giveaway today. Brian, if you want to go ahead and bring this out, if you fill out an online connection form today, you can go to our website, go to our church app, you have a chance to win this really cool-looking First Church Cornhole set. No purchase necessary. All you have to do is fill out a connection card, and we're going to draw one this week. So go ahead and do that right now. Get it out of the way so you have plenty of time to pay attention to the sermon later, okay? But go and fill one out, and maybe it will be you who win this awesome Cornell set. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Well, yeah. Well, everybody's excited because today's Tailgate Sunday, and we challenge you guys to wear your favorite team apparel, and you guys did just that. And so I always hear that we have more well, one team or the other when it comes to OU and OSU, and I want to see how it plays out today. So I want to take a quick poll when it comes to college football, and I just want to see how many OU versus OSU fans we have in the room today. And if you're online, you can go ahead and you can uh, put in who you're cheering for as well. Remember, if you're wearing your team gear right now, take a picture of that and post it online because we want to see it. So let me go in here, you guys. You can shout out, you can yell, clap, do whatever you want to do. How many... Oklahoma State Cowboys fans we have here today. Whoa, okay, man, wow, it's awesome. You guys are excited. Okay, it's gonna be hard to beat. Let me see, how many OU Sooner fans do we have here? Yeah, it's about 50-50. Okay, I think I've lost control. All right, let's come back here for a second. I know we probably have some other teams represented as well, so have any Tulsa Golden Hurricanes fans in the room? All right, a few, cool. There's not very many, but they're loud, so that's awesome, great. Okay, what about, I don't know, do I dare say it, Texas Longhorns? Yeah! We have one on the front row, okay, awesome. Well, yeah, I know, I know. Okay, what about like Arkansas Razorbacks? Any Arkansas fans? Okay, a few. Do we have any Kentucky Wildcats fans? All right. My wife over there, all right, yes. That's right, go Cats. I paid her to do that, so. And I'm sure we have a ton of other fans as well, so if I didn't say your school, just go and shout it out right now. Go ahead, shout it out. All right, I have no idea what you said, but I'm glad that you're proud of your team, okay? Well, it is, it is tailgate Sunday. In addition to college football, I've seen some NFL jerseys. I've even seen some baseball jerseys as well, so that's great. Glad you guys participated in that. But if you're new here today, you're probably wondering, why in the world is this church having a tailgate Sunday? What's that all about? Well, let me explain it. We're having a tailgate Sunday today because of how we see the church. See, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the church, because there are a lot of different ideas floating around our culture today about the church, but let me let you know how we see it. See, we believe that the church, that the church is, well, it's God's people who are here for a purpose, and that purpose is to invade the sadness of earth with the joy of heaven. The church is God's community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. We believe that's our mission. 
We believe that's what God has called us to do. In fact, Jesus even says in the Gospel of John, look at this. He says that he has told us these things. He's taught us all of his instructions and teachings for a purpose, and that purpose is so that we will be filled with his joy. Not just any joy, but his joy. And then he goes on to say, yes, your joy will overflow. See, there's a lot of sadness in our world today. That sadness exists because of sin. This world is under a curse because of sin. But we're here to give people a preview of heaven. The church exists as a signpost of heaven, and we're here to show people what God's joy is really all about. And when Jesus says we are to overflow with his joy, he's not talking about some superficial happiness or some fake smile that we put on our faces when we don't feel it. No, what he's talking about is this inner joy, this inner joy that drives our lives and gives us hope in the midst of what surrounds us. Because even though this world at times is a tough place to live, we always have reason to celebrate. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb has proved once and for all that hopelessness is a lie. No matter what situation you're in right now, it is not the end of your story. The resurrection of Jesus proves that hopelessness is a lie. Pain is temporary and the darkness is already fading. See, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and he is going to make everything right again. But until he comes back, we're here to be a signpost for heaven. We're here to unleash the joy of heaven so that people get a taste of our God before Jesus comes back. And when we show the world his love and his grace and his joy, well, they will be changed and they'll want to draw closer to him. So that's why every week in this You're Invited series, we're throwing a party. Today is a tailgate party. Next week is gonna be our Labor Day cookout. You're not gonna wanna miss next Sunday because next Sunday we're gonna have free food for everyone. You don't have to bring anything. Yeah, that's awesome. You don't have to bring anything. After both of our services next weekend, we're going to have free food. We're gonna cook out on the grill, games and all sorts of fun stuff. You're not gonna wanna miss next Sunday. Make First Church part of your Labor Day plans and then the next Sunday after that's going to be super sunny we'll talk more about that later but we're throwing a party every week here because we want to remind our church family why we're here we're here to invade the sadness of earth with the joy of heaven and so today our theme like I said is tailgate Sunday and I love this time of year because I love football season especially college football I love high school football too but I love football season I never played football but I enjoy the atmosphere like I enjoy going to games I love you know what you see and I love the smells and I love the food and I just love everything about it it's just awesome when you go to a game I love that atmosphere I love that environment I even love you know the sounds like a good drum line anybody with me on that you know it just get you pumped up and excited yeah exactly I love even watching football on TV because it's just exciting to me. But here's the thing, even though I love football, I never played football. My parents wouldn't let me play football. And if you think that's horrible and just terrible that my parents wouldn't let me play football, that's okay, you can let them know that. You can send them a text message. Here's their number right here. No, I'm kidding, not really, no. They're actually watching probably right now. Don't worry, I wouldn't put your number out there. But they wouldn't let me play, and even though I never did play, I've always wanted to. And so this week as a staff, we asked one of Owasso's football coaches to do some conditioning, football conditioning with us and uh, take a look at how it went.
the first. Move your feet, let's go, move, move, move. Taught him a lesson. When he does that, you jump over and go under him. And you jump under him. We had a whole lot of fun for sure. Hey, sign us up to play in the SEC. I hear they'll take anybody. I was talking about Texas. Who'd you guys think I was talking about? Hey, come on. Hey, Kentucky's in the SEC. I can say that, okay? They will take anybody anyway. But we had a blast. And even though I never played football as a kid, I did play a lot of basketball and a lot of soccer. And I used to play a lot of basketball in my parents' driveway. And I remember I would shoot hoops with the neighborhood kids or with my brother, with my dad. And as I would play in my parents' driveway, I used to dream about one day playing for the University of Kentucky, you know, playing in Rupp Arena under all the lights and all the fans, all that good stuff. Let me ask you something. When I was a kid and I would dream about playing for Kentucky, what did I dream about? I would dream about hitting a last-second shot and winning the game for the Wildcats. Or I would dream about, you know, dunking on somebody and posterizing them, you know? I would have to lower the rim a little bit, but still, I would dream about dunking on my opponent. Or I would dream about getting fouled at the last second, and there's no time left on the clock, and so I have to stand up and shoot two free throws in order to win the game under that pressure situation or in that pressure situation. That's what I used to dream about. But do you know what thought never popped into my mind as I would dream about one day playing for the University of Kentucky? This right here. You guys know what this is? It's a bench. I never once thought when I was out shooting some ball in my parents' driveway, you know, one day I'm going to sit on the bench. One day I'm going to make the team and I'm just going to hang out on the bench. This right here never crossed my mind. You know why? Because I wanted to play. I wanted to be in the game. And I think this is a great illustration of life. Because nobody makes a team and then tells the coach, hey, I just want to sit on the bench the whole season. Nobody retires from their job and after years of service, hopes that their contribution will soon be forgotten. No one wants for their funeral to be unattended. No one wants to get to the end of their life and just have their legacy fade away and be totally forgotten. No, deep down, we all want our lives to matter. We want to know that our lives matter. I think this is a universal truth, and we get this. But yet sometimes I think we wonder if our lives really do matter. See, that was the case for a guy that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 19 today. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me the 19th chapter in the Gospel of Luke. 
And here, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, but before he gets to Jerusalem, he has to pass through the city of Jericho. It was kind of the last town that you would stop in before you would get to Jerusalem. And so a lot of trade, a lot of commerce took place in the city of Jericho. A lot of money flowed in and out of there, and the Roman government knew that, and so they heavily taxed the area surrounding Jericho. And the guy who was in charge of making sure that this taxation took place was a guy named Zacchaeus. There are a lot of tax collectors in this area, but Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And this meant he was an extremely wealthy man. And even though Zacchaeus had status and money and possessions, I think Zacchaeus spent a lot of his life on the sidelines. Let's look at his story in Luke 19. Verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So he'd become extremely wealthy off of taxing people. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So here's what's going on. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's at the height of his popularity. We're getting to the end of Jesus' earthly life, and so he's going to Jerusalem for the last time to pay the price of the human race's sins on the cross, and everybody knows that something big is getting ready to happen. I mean, Jesus has done all these miracles and done all this awesome teaching, and now he's going to Jerusalem, and people believe that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. So everywhere he goes, hundreds if not thousands of people follow him. They follow to him. And as Jesus is going through the city of Jericho, this makeshift crowd, this makeshift parade kind of forms, and people line the streets in order to get a glimpse of Jesus. And in the crowd that day was this man named Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is at a little bit of a disadvantage because the Bible says he's shorter than everyone else and he can't see Jesus. Now, the average height of a person in this day and age, in this region, Scholars tell us it was between 5'3 and 5'5. Five five. So that means Zacchaeus is probably significantly shorter than that. Even on his tiptoes, he can't see over people's heads. And so Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus. And this is what happens. It says, So he, Zacchaeus, ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So Jesus is headed in one direction. Zacchaeus sees where he's going, and what does he do? He runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree so that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, let me ask you guys, when's the last time you ever climbed a tree? I mean, honestly, when's the last time you climbed a tree? Adults typically don't climb trees, do we? Unless you're getting up in a deer blind or something. Adults typically don't climb trees. And in this day and age, Jewish adult men didn't climb either. In fact, it was considered improper for a Jewish man to climb in public. Because of the garments that they wore, you might expose yourself. Jewish men did not climb in public. And something else that Jewish men didn't do? They didn't run in public either. See, slaves would run, they would run errands, children would run and play, but dignified men would not run in public. And yet we see Zacchaeus, this wealthy man of status who has all these possessions and influence, running ahead of the crowd, the common crowd, in order to climb a tree and see Jesus. Apparently, he really wanted to see Jesus. And let me ask why? Well, I believe something was missing 
in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus knew something wasn't right. Because even though Zacchaeus had all this money, all these possessions, he probably lived in the biggest house in Jericho. He was probably the wealthiest man in Jericho. If not the wealthiest, he was one of them. He had all this influence and power. I mean, he had the Roman government backing him. If somebody disobeyed Zacchaeus, all he had to do was call on his Roman soldier buddies and they would go and arrest people and maybe even put them to death. Zacchaeus had all this status and power and authority and yet something seems to be missing. See, I wonder if Zacchaeus had trouble sleeping at night because Zacchaeus had to learn the hard way that all the money, all the status, all the possessions in the world can't buy you lasting satisfaction and joy. He had to learn the hard way that money and status and possessions and all the stuff that this world offers, all that stuff, well, it's a cheap substitute for what we really need. Money, status, possessions, it's a poor, poor substitute for a restored relationship with God, which is what our souls are really longing for. See, Zacchaeus, he was someone who had everything, but nothing all at the same time. He had everything this world had to offer, but on the inside, he was empty. You ever known anybody like that? You've probably heard the name Deion Sanders, professional athlete. He played professional baseball and football, very talented guy, successful athlete. And he later in life came to know Christ, but he went for years not knowing Jesus as his Lord. And in his autobiography, he writes about those years before he knew Jesus. And listen to what he says in his autobiography. He says, everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. See, I think that's where Zacchaeus is in Luke chapter 19. He has everything the world has to offer, and yet, on the inside, he feels completely empty. In fact, if there was a word to describe Zacchaeus' life right now, it would be that word, empty. And let me ask you, you ever felt that way? Do you know what it feels like to struggle with emptiness? Because here's the thing, you don't have to have everything this world has to offer in order to feel empty. You ever struggled with dissatisfaction? Because what you're living for just doesn't seem to fill the void that you have deep within your soul. See, I think that's Zacchaeus in this moment. He has everything but nothing all at the same time. And so what would make a guy like Zacchaeus run ahead of the crowd and climb a tree, go to such great lengths in order to see Jesus? 
Well, it's the same reason why a bunch of fishermen left their nets behind in order to follow Jesus. It's the same reason why Roman soldiers submitted to Jesus' authority. It's the same reason why a prostitute broke all social customs and norms in order to get close to Jesus at the risk of even being stoned for doing so. It's the same reason why four friends cut a hole in a roof and lowered their buddy into Jesus' presence. It's the same reason why outcasts and outsiders and those who lived on the margins of society did whatever they possibly could to get close to Jesus. Jesus has the power to rewrite anyone's story. And when people discovered that, they were willing to give up whatever they had, take whatever risk was necessary so that Jesus could rewrite their story. And here's the thing. The same is true for us today. Jesus still has the power to rewrite your story and my story. And Zacchaeus, he needed his story rewritten. Zacchaeus had lived an interesting life. Not a moral life, not a godly life, but an interesting life. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which meant he was basically working for the enemy. See, the Jewish people, they had been conquered by the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire ruled over them. And so they had to submit to this foreign power who they didn't respect and they didn't like, and Rome oppressed the Jewish people. But not only that, they taxed the Jewish people into poverty. And so the Jews hated the Romans. They hated this oppression that they were experiencing. And they especially hated tax collectors because tax collectors, in addition to collecting just normal taxes, tax collectors were known for being crooks. They were known for being corrupt. They were a bunch of sleazeballs who basically would go out and they would tax people more than what Rome actually required and then they would keep the rest for themselves and the Roman government didn't care as long as the government got its cut they didn't care how much the tax collectors collected you couldn't argue with a tax collector you couldn't appeal what they were asking for because if you did again they had Roman soldiers backing them up that would easily arrest you or even have you executed they had all this power and authority and you couldn't argue with them at all and here's the thing Zacchaeus is a Jew who's now working for the enemy, who's oppressing his own people, who's hurting his fellow countrymen. Zacchaeus was despised. He would have been considered among his Jewish countrymen a traitor of traitors. And let me ask, what would make a guy like Zacchaeus turn on his own people like that? Well, I don't know, but I have a theory. I think maybe it had something to do with his height. Because you see, if Zacchaeus was significantly shorter than five foot three-ish, the average height of a man in that day, Zacchaeus very well could have been what we would call today a little person. And in this day and age, unfortunately, if you were a little person, you were considered cursed by God. Either you or your family members did something wrong to be in that situation. The Bible does not teach that, and this church doesn't believe that, of course. But that's, how, that's what people believed in Zacchaeus' day. And so I bet Zacchaeus was probably made fun of. He was probably mocked and bullied his entire 
life. And at one point, Zacchaeus had had enough. And he just said, I'll show them. You ever known anybody that has sought wealth and status and possessions to prove a point to somebody else? I'll get back at them. So he became a tax collector. And now he had authority over all those guys who had made fun of him, all those people that had mocked him, ridiculed him, rejected him. And once he had all this authority and power and money, it still didn't bring him satisfaction. It still didn't bring him joy. And that's why he seeks Jesus on this day because he hopes that maybe Jesus can show him what he's missing. He thought he had the answer, but obviously that wasn't working. So he's ready to abandon his plan and go see if maybe Jesus will say something or do something that could help him find what he's looking for. So Zacchaeus goes to see Jesus. But here's the thing. I think that even though Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, hoping that Jesus could help him out, I'm not sure if Zacchaeus was ready for Jesus to see him. And here's why I say that. Because Zacchaeus that day didn't have to climb a tree in order to see Jesus. If he wanted an audience with Jesus, remember who he is. He's a tax collector. He's got Roman soldiers backing him up. All he had to do was tell some Roman soldiers, hey, I need to have a meeting with that man right over there. And they would have gone and they would have grabbed Jesus. He would have had a meeting with Jesus if he wanted one. And even if he didn't want to get the Roman soldiers involved, he was a tax collector. People, they were scared to death of tax collectors. Nobody wanted to tick off a tax collector. It's always a bad thing. So all he had to do in that crowd of people was flash his IRS badge and they would have got out of the way. They would have parted like the Red Sea. Nobody messed with a tax collector in this day and age. And he could have moved right up to the front of the line. But he didn't use either of those two options. Instead, he runs ahead of the crowd away from everybody else and climbs a tree. And I think maybe he was hoping that he could observe Jesus and see something that would help him out or hear something that would help him out, but Jesus wouldn't look up and see him in that tree. Why? Well, maybe he was afraid that Jesus might reject him like everybody else. Jesus was kind of his last hope. Maybe he was worried that Jesus might make fun of him or mock him like everybody else. Maybe he thought Jesus wouldn't even give him the time of day Maybe he thought Jesus might scold him or correct him, lecture him for all of his immoral behavior. I don't know why, but I don't think Zacchaeus was quite ready for Jesus to see him just yet. And so that's why what happens next would have caught Zacchaeus totally off guard. Read with me what happens. It says that when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. Jesus stops dead in his tracks with all these people around him, and he calls out to Zacchaeus. And notice how the scripture emphasizes that he calls Zacchaeus by name. He doesn't say, hey, you up there, or hey, buddy, or hey, crazy guy up in the tree, or anything like that. No, he calls Zacchaeus by name. You know why? Names matter because people matter. 
Jesus was adding value to Zacchaeus' life in that moment. No Jewish rabbi in this day and age would have given Zacchaeus the time of day, but Jesus stops dead in his tracks in order to acknowledge and recognize Zacchaeus by name. And I want you to keep in mind again what Jesus is doing. Jesus is traveling through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. And what's he going to Jerusalem to do? To do the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. He was going to Jerusalem to go to the cross to pay the price of all of mankind's sins. And on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, he stops dead in his tracks to notice a man that nobody else cared about. To notice a man who was rejected by everyone else. See, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he didn't see a traitor. He didn't see a crook. What he saw was a child of God who desperately needed to know that his life mattered. And Jesus is telling Zacchaeus in this moment, you matter to me, and even on the way to the cross, you're never too busy. I'm never too busy that I can't stop and show you that your life matters. And I think Jesus is telling us the same thing today. You always matter to him. If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen to that. You always matter to Jesus. And so, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, I want to come over to your house, and I want to eat with you. Let's have a party at your house, Zacchaeus. And you know what Zacchaeus does? The scripture says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now, this is interesting. Zacchaeus, he doesn't argue. He doesn't question it. He doesn't say, hang on a second. I don't know about this. Immediately, Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, and he is excited and filled with joy in order to have a meal with Jesus. Why is that? Because in this day and age, to have a meal with somebody meant that you were accepting them. It was a sign of friendship. And by Jesus standing in the street in front of all these people and saying, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. What Jesus is basically telling everybody is, Zacchaeus, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. Everybody else might be against you, but I am for you. And so for Zacchaeus to hear this man who he believed to be the Messiah sent from God... Look at him and say, I'm for you. He couldn't wait to get out of that tree. Zacchaeus had probably never felt so valued and loved. And so what do they do? They go over to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus probably, probably hasn't had a lot of friends over. He doesn't have a lot of friends. I would say Zacchaeus was somebody who was, well, he was experienced rich but relationship poor. He had... He experienced a whole lot in his life because he had a lot of status and money and power, but he didn't have a whole lot of friends. But in this moment, Jesus is hanging out with him as a friend. And they're enjoying one another's company. And they're probably laughing. They're probably fixing some food on the grill. They're on Zacchaeus' back deck, you know, in this mansion that he lives in. And they're probably playing some cornhole. Their cornhole board probably wasn't as cool as the one we had out here earlier, but still, they're playing some cornhole. They probably flip on the TV and watch the NAS camel race, you know, the Jerusalem 500 or whatever, I don't know. And they're laughing and they're having a good time. But not everybody is happy about what's going on. Read on and see what happens. But the people were displeased. 
He, speaking of Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumble. In other words, what's Jesus doing hanging out with that scum? What's Jesus doing hanging out with that guy? He's a notorious sinner. Jesus, do you know what he's done? Do you know what he's done in his past? Do you realize the sins that that man has committed? Why in the world would a godly man like you be hanging out with scum like that? See, the people had time-stamped Zacchaeus. Who he was in his past, they believed is who he would always be. And let me ask you, have you ever been time-stamped? Has somebody ever looked at you and automatically seen what you did years ago and they can't get past that? It's not a good feeling, is it? Everybody else thought that Zacchaeus would always be who he had always been. But Jesus believed that. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus' story wasn't finished yet. See, the people, they were just heaping guilt upon Zacchaeus. That man's guilty. He's guilty of wrongdoing. He's guilty of sin. He's guilty of cheating us. He's guilty about offending God. That man is guilty. They just heaped guilt upon him. But what they missed was they were just as guilty. What they missed is nobody really deserves an invitation to God's party. But God freely gives us that invitation. We just have to choose whether or not we want to accept it. You see, nobody deserves a place at God's table because a place at God's table isn't something we achieve, but it's something we receive. We can't achieve a place at God's table. We can't do anything to earn a place at God's table, but that's the whole reason why Jesus came. He knew we couldn't achieve it, and so he came to give us the opportunity to have a seat at God's table, to have an invitation to God's party, even though we didn't deserve it. In Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. By the way, this word right there in Greek, that word everyone, you know what it means in Greek? Everyone, okay? So all of us, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've all come short of God's glory. Yet God, in his grace, and that word grace just means a free, undeserved gift, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. See, what we deserve is death. What we deserve is punishment. What we deserve, the consequences of our sin, eternal consequences of our sin. But Jesus came to free us of that by paying the penalty for us so that we wouldn't have to pay it. And here's the thing, the distinction between Zacchaeus and those outside the party complaining wasn't guilt, but it was grace. See, they were heaping guilt on Zacchaeus, but they were just as guilty as Zacchaeus. The difference was Zacchaeus had embraced God's grace. And sometimes people will come to me and they will say, Chad, do you know about so-and-so who's attending your church? Do you know what they did? Do you know what they did in their past? And a lot of times I'll be like, no, I really don't know. <laughs> but I know about my past. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. And I don't deserve to be part of this church. I don't deserve to be part of God's kingdom. I don't deserve an invitation to God's party. But by the grace of God, I'm here. In 2019, Kentucky played an epic football game, you might say, against Florida Gators. And Florida's known for being a powerhouse football school. 
And with less than a minute to go, Kentucky was down by one point. And so Kentucky decides to take a field goal to try to win the game. 35-yard field goal should have been a pretty easy kick. And this is what happens. The kicker attempts it, and he just barely misses it. And I remember seeing the disappointment on his face, the disappointment on the fans' faces as well. I remember being bummed out, and you can watch it here again. Look how close this was. I mean, it was just a matter of inches, probably less than a half a yard, you know, just right there. So close. And I remember getting on social media, and everybody was giving him a hard time. They were saying he needs to leave the state They need to take back his scholarship. And they were saying a lot more nasty things than that, you can imagine. But I remember listening to Coach Mark Stoops, the head coach for Kentucky, talk about Chance. That's his name. By the way, his name is Chance Poor, which is not a great name for a kicker, just in case you wanted to know. But I'm not kidding. That's really his name. (laughs) But I remember Coach Stoops talking about Chance, and he said... He had a bad day. We've all had bad days. It wasn't his fault we lost. We had other opportunities to win that game. So we all have bad days. We all mess up. We're not perfect. He's still part of our team, and we love him. And I remember listening to that and thinking, you know, that's how God treats us. God looks at us, and even though we're sinners, even though we've messed up, even though we have fallen short of his glory, we're still his And when we embrace his grace, we're still on his team. We're still part of his family. And I don't know if you noticed this, but Chance is number 12. I wanted a Kentucky football jersey a while back, and I got online, and they're really, really expensive. (laughs) And on eBay, somebody was selling this jersey, and they didn't want it. Nobody wanted to wear number 12 after that game. I said, I'll buy it. One, I'm cheap. (laughs) But two, I've had a bad day too. I've had a lot of bad days. And I know that even though I've had a lot of bad days and I've messed up by the grace of God, I'm still invited to God's party. And the same is true for you as well. And when you experience that type of love, when you experience that type of grace, it changes you. Look at what happens here. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I want you to notice this. Jesus never told Zacchaeus to do this, to pay back how he had cheated people and give all this money away, but Zacchaeus just does it. You know why? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you start to look like him. Jesus doesn't just forgive people, he changes people. And when Jesus walked in the door of Zacchaeus' home, his greed went out the back door. And here's the thing, you can experience that as well. Jesus doesn't just forgive us, he changes us. And if you're in a spot right now where you don't wanna be, if you're sitting on the sideline, if you're just going through the motions of life, Jesus wants you to get in the game and really live. And today, your anger, your lust, your addiction, whatever issue, whatever problem, whatever sin you're struggling with, it can go out the back door if you embrace the grace of Jesus today. My son Alex likes to fall asleep on the couch. He does this a lot. 
And I used to be able to pick him up and carry him to bed, and I can't anymore, it's too big. So what I do is I pick him up off the couch, and I put my arms underneath him, and I kind of walk him like a zombie to bed. And he doesn't wake up most of the time, he just stays asleep and just kind of sleepwalks to bed. And every now and then he will say something to me like, Daddy, is that you? But he's still asleep, you know, he doesn't know what's going on. And one time I asked him, I was like, Alex, I walk you to bed a lot of nights. Do you ever remember Daddy doing that? And he's like, no, I don't. I wondered how I got there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Guys, our world is full of people who are just sleepwalking through life. Just going through the motions but not really living. And they're on the sidelines wondering, there's got to be more to life. And Jesus is saying there is. You come to me, you embrace me and my grace, you'll get in the game. And you'll experience the life that God created you to live. See, Jesus died on a tree so you could come down from yours. No matter what tree you're in right now, Jesus died on a tree so that you could come down from yours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this story of Zacchaeus. We pray, Father, that we will not be a people who live on the sidelines, just going through the motions of life, that we will be a people who are living life to the fullest in your Son. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.